HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network, and today we're celebrating Father's Day. It's uh, you know that time of the year where we salute the dad, and um, you know more and more we're seeing dads get into the kitchen and cook a little bit. So um, you know it's a great time to talk about cooking and family cooking, especially now that it's so lush in the season of fruits and vegetables. So we've got on air. Um, a dad, but also he happens to be one of the best chefs in the country. It is Hugh Atchison, and he's on the line right now from Atlanta. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Happy Father's Day. Um, And congrats on the new book, The Broad Fork Recipes for the Wide World of Vegetables and Fruits. This is a really well, yeah. This is a really amazing cookbook, and I know um, you know you've had a, a James Beard Award winning cookbook, The New Turn in the South, Southern Flavors. You've had a pickling cookbook. Um, of course, most folks know you from Top Chef as a judge. So uh, it's really great to have you on Heritage today. Well, it's good to be here on Father's Day. It's All a right. Fun day. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for taking the time out. Um, you know, flipping through this book, I didn't realize you're such a vegetable-focused um, f- chef. I mean, I mean, you've had plenty of vegetables throughout your dishes, but this book really speaks to, um, you know, your your fan. Um, you're a fan of CSAs and um, the community of farmers that you work with. There's profiles of different farmers in your community, and um, it's just it's such a it's such a wonderful cookbook, and it really shows how important vegetables are to your dishes. So um, have you always been inspired by the local produce in your area, or, or when did this you know, obsession with vegetables really take off? You know, I started cooking at a really young age, and I, I think that 
it was always interesting to see the proteins and the mm-hmm. crazy. I worked in pretty high-end French restaurants. Yeah. But there was a lot of other stuff going on in the place, and I did entreme, which is the position in a kitchen brigade that's pretty much in charge of vegetable sides on, for everything. Yeah. So you get really acquainted with this diversity of foods and diversity of vegetables. But then when I moved down to the South, which was 20 years ago, I sort of realized that the South is so much more than what people think of this sort of fried food and yeah. lard enriched food. It's this really diverse agrarian place. And mm-hmm. so... When we got here, it was just a matter of seeking out all the local farms to try and figure out what was going to be out there seasonally and, and look at it in a different, from a different standpoint of Southern food. Right. So Southern food itself was not just all these sort of special occasion dishes like fried chicken and, uh, I don't know, rich meats that would be eaten more occasionally with a plethora of vegetables. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that the... Uh, Using meat as a crutch in Southern food is not really what Southern food is mm-hmm. all about. Meats were always really expensive. This was, you know, the beauty about Southern food is uh, upper classes and poverty-stricken folks pretty much all ate very similar things, mm-hmm. um, except the fancier meats went to the uh, the, the plantation uh, dining room tables. Um, so it's really interesting to see that but the, the meals were really surrounded by a ton of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, it was greens and sliced tomatoes and corn and succotash and purlus and rices and grains. So I just wanted to write a book to sort of show off that there's so much more out there that yeah. people think. And to answer the sort of age-old problem of people not knowing what to do with certain things that come in their CSA box right. or at the farmer's market or whatever, whatever it may be in one one story I've got in the book is all about this guy bothering me about what to do with kohlrabi. <laughs> and it is a really good question. What do you do with kohlrabi? So this book sort of answers that, sort of looks at uh, each vegetable and giving it four to five, three to four to five recipes in each one. Mm-hmm. To sort of take the blinders off how you cook food and sort of try and get you into new styles of technique. and, and But they're really simple and doable recipes, and that's the, that's the good thing. Yeah, vegetables aren't that, you know, scary, and there's not too much uh, prep you often need to do with them. Um, so what do you think exactly happened if people have been eating, you know, okra and beans and preparing all these things? I, I meet a lot of people who just don't know how to cook beans. And, you know, if we've been eating those for such a long time, how did that fall out of uh, practice, whereas fried chicken is still something we know how to do? What do you yeah, think I mean, there? I think that, uh, you know, 80 years ago, Somebody invented the freezer aisle at the store, mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. kind of went downhill in, in uh, culinary uh, history, and, and our knowledge base of cooking from scratch yeah. kind of took a big hit. So, you know, I was not ra- I was raised by an economist. My, my father was uh, is a wonderful man, but he, you know, is not a wonderful cook by any means, and it was a single-parent household, and he cooked us fish sticks and candy yellow wax beans. <laughs> and... You know, I mean, but that, but it's, he was a great dad and is mm-hmm. a great dad, but, but he didn't really provide the culinary backbone of, of what I do every day. So I learned how to cook. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I seek to re, I think the best father I can be now because it's Father's Day is, is teaching my kids how to cook and giving them the life skills to, uh, when they hit 20, know how to, 
how to survive just a little bit better right. than the other guy. Rather than just grabbing from the freezer aisle or, I guess, convenience food really answered a lot of um, the how-tos about home cooking over the years. But it's great to see more folks getting back to the basics and <clears throat> such as you such as you attest to in this book. Um, so what is, uh, what is something you like to make for kids? Because I know kids can be a little picky about vegetables. Uh, what are some... Some of their favorites. I'm. I don't have kids myself, so I don't know what <laughs> what yeah, they go for. It's. Uh, I mean, I've got uh, Beatrice is 13 and Clementine's 11, and they were they've been presented with really good food and mm-hmm. pretty much no options except those vegetables on the plate since they were born. So, what that means is that that's what they equate to food. Okay. Not good food. Not healthy food. It's just, just food. that's what they equate to food and dinner. Mm-hmm. So they got used to it, and I think that's the key, is the kids have to get used to it early. Um, You know, trying to present a beat to a 12-year-old is a really mountain to climb. (laughs) But presenting a beat to a 1-year-old is like, man, this is like candy. So I think that's the secret is, you know, my kids still want fast food and stuff occasionally, and but it's not, you know, their go-to is... Is the is the plate of food that we serve them at home? So right. whether it's a roasted chicken with Carolina gold rice and pan gravy, and the next to that is sautéed spinach and sliced tomato and corn and um, crisp okra and roasted okra. You know they'll eat all that stuff. They'll eat mm-hmm. the charred cabbage and the kohlrabi, and so. But but it was never we never put out the plate saying you have to eat everything on the plate. Mm-hmm. We just we just didn't really talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's why. Because it was eat. dinner, yeah. you know. I, I think as soon as kids are feisty little creatures, and uh, as soon as you put up the fight of saying, you know, you have to eat that area of your plate, or you don't get dessert, it's there the war begins. Yeah, and uh, it's Our- a war over food. And you, you know, when you put that sort of mandate on something, they're when they get out of the house, they're not going to want to eat it. When they gain control over planning their own diet. They're probably not going to go for the thing that you made them eat over and over again. Right, right. I think I'm remembering back to my childhood. That's how that's how things were too. Um, so that's great. And hopefully, it's not too late to start getting into cooking um, some of these great vegetables when you make it so tasty in these recipes. So thanks for thanks for helping out with that. Um, well, I mean, we're trying. Yeah, it's, it's easy. Yeah. So, um, if I may, I wanted to read from one passage of your introduction that I thought was really amazing. Um, all right. So you write, feeding family and your family. Oh, sorry, feeding yourself and your family should not be as difficult as we are made to believe. Cooking has been made to seem like a sport of Jedi, a pursuit that takes training and time and very specialized equipment. This is what makers of ready-to-eat foods would want you to believe, as they have an interest to protect. And we have let large companies do our prep work, plan our meals, and map our life with food. I want to show you that it's easy to engage in your community of food, to make the relationships with what you eat and how it got to your plate. It's a beautiful experience that nurtures not only your belly, but also your larger community along the way. I was like, wow, you know, this is really taking a strong stance here. Um, and, um, and, and, and also kind of hypothesizing about what's going what's going on with our food system and that's something we really um we really agree with here at heritage so so thanks for 
Thanks for sharing these insights. Um, you know, food's a complex thing, and it's a, but it's a beautiful thing, and it's uh, it should be beautiful. But we need to respect it. You know, mm-hmm. the, the problem with the age of convenience, that last eighty years of this, uh, of how we dealt with food and made it so easy, um, is that we've we've kind of lost that touch, that connection to our community and the immediate makers in the community who really provide for us. And mm-hmm. Those people need respect. And the food needs to be at a proper price point so it derives respect. But we still have to make food available to everyone. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, at a fair and equitable price. So it's, it's kind of the right, you know. It's, it's a very important thing. And uh, we all have to eat. So I just want to make sure we're eating that makes us feel good and supports our communities. And mm-hmm. is, is done for all the right reasons. And have you seen a growing uh, interest in eating locally um, in your community? I know you're in Athens, Georgia. I just had a crash yep. crash through visit to Atlanta, but I didn't get to see too much of. Unfortunately, I didn't get out to the farmers market. But um, so, tell me a little bit about what's going on. Like, um, you know, you're talking to your neighbor about kohlrabi. Is this something that um, more folks are getting excited about? Yeah, I think they're they're circling back around to really proper food awareness mm-hmm. um, and I, you know the DIY culture across the country is really interesting right now mm-hmm. so I think the farmers markets are abundant and I think that our uh, our support of local small farms is getting better and better we still have a lot to do though um, because we're just we're so far down the rabbit hole with um, the ease of shopping at the grocery store, which we, you know, grocery stores are great. And mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not a zealot. I just want to make people to make small steps towards figuring out how to gauge, engage that guy who grinds grits mm-hmm. outside of town or the guy yeah. who shows up with these beautiful tomatoes at the farmer's market. That guy's got a name. Right, right. And by supporting him, he employs people and kicks into the tax system and supports our schools. And so you always you, you have a choice in where you spend your money. Mm-hmm. And I think you should be very conscious of where that money is going. And if you can support your local sphere and realize that only three hands have touched the food before it got to your plate, that's awesome. You know, that's life-changing for you, for the farmer, for your people around you and your neighbors. So it's good. And it sounds like it makes every meal a little richer, too, appreciating all the the folks that went through this, um, uh, went into the process of making your meal. So definitely something to reflect on. Um, And I love how you discover new vegetables and and not only ways to use them, but interesting vegetables. Uh, You write that you've never really um, used bamboo um, that much until, uh, I guess, recently you found, (laughs) what is this, some bamboo growing around Athens, most notably at Michael Stipe's house, (laughs) and then there was like some Chinese restaurants using this bamboo. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, it's really important to find the edible bamboos because there are some that are not you're not supposed to eat at all because mm-hmm. I don't think they're very good for you. Uh, but this, these, the bamboo we're actually getting for the restaurants and for home is we're pickling, and it's just an amazingly beautiful thing. It's like heart of palm, like fresh mm-hmm. heart of palm, yep. um, and it's it's stunning stuff. So that's from Three Porch Farm, one of our farms locally uh, that's just doing an amazing job. So they raised two bridles for us and. When the season comes, it hits quickly, and we have to pickle up, you know, 200 pounds of pickled bamboo, uh, which is fun. Wow. And, uh, but that's, a, you know, that's the type of prep work, I think, that, that makes life 
enjoyable and cool and interesting. Uh, and really harkens back to, you know, growing up in Ottawa and Montreal, it's like you walk down the street and you hear the in October and the Portuguese guys are in the back making wine by stomping on it in a kiddie pool. Um, or you walk down the street and the Italian guys are hanging uh, prosciuttos. Uh, in in Toronto on a side street, you know, in their backyard. So, but those mm-hmm. are the immediate immediate connections to food that I think are really important. So yeah. that type of abundance, and then figuring out how to preserve and can and process it for the long term is such a southern tradition. Yeah. we just want to make sure it continues. Yeah, definitely. And this pickled bamboo recipe looks awesome. Um, I'm really excited about this because I've been wondering why there wasn't more like bamboo being grown in the U.S. It's something I grew up with. Uh, eating a lot, but I seem to only find canned here, canned versions here. So hopefully we'll see more bamboo. And uh, yeah, thanks for exposing us to so many different vegetables. Um, you know, much like the interesting meats that you've cooked with over the years at your restaurants. Um, the vegetable discovery is just really fascinating, all the same. And um, so yeah, what is your absolute favorite dish to make uh, right now, this point in the season? You know, we're we're in sort of late spring here yeah. in our climate. We realize the states is always going to be a little bit different overall uh-huh, um, uh-huh. because of just the size of it and the climate and what's happening. But right now, and it's you know that time of year for beautiful asparagus. Still, we're hitting the very end of it yeah. where we are. But you guys just um, you know up north mm-hmm. it's so abundant. So for Father's Day brunch, I mean griddled asparagus and piperad with poached eggs and grits is just going to be a a classic in my house. Ooh, um, yeah. But then shrimp season's about to start up, so we'll be pickling a lot of shrimp to have. Um, we do have, there's a fennel salad in the book with anchovies, lemon, and roasted tomatoes that's phenomenally tasty. That looks so refreshing. So there's just lots of stuff going on. Yeah, it's the beginning of like a very, very bountiful season, so exciting. So thank you so much. That's about all the time we have, but I hope everyone checks out the Broad Fork. And uh, we look forward to seeing what else you uh, write in cookbook land uh, coming up. So keep it, keep it coming. This is awesome. We're keeping it going. We're uh, enjoying it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Hugh. Um, we'll see everyone at Heritage next week. And eat your words. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.